Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are attorneys with NFP in the Benefits Compliance Division. And we like to use these podcasts to bring to you some of the latest news and the topics that we hear from our clients, the the employers. Today, we're going to take a a look at a few of the ACA provisions that are fluid and some that people are certainly discussing and they're keeping in mind as we draw to an end in 2019 and are planning for 2020. Um, Some of those involve taxes, for example. So let's start off, Chase, with our first topic, which has to do with the health insurance tax. The so-called HIT, um, that's the acronym that's been given to the health insurance tax. It's also known as the annual fee on health insurance providers, so you may hear of it that way, but HIT seems to be the acronym that's stuck here. As a quick background, this is a tax payable by carriers, so it applies only to fully insured plans. If an employer has a self-insured plan, they won't really feel the HIT. Um, But it's different than other taxes. It's not a straight percentage or a dollar amount. Rather, it's based on the carrier's proportionate share of an aggregate fee for the year as set by statute. Uh, So basically, in layman's terms, the government determines an amount based on premium amounts, and then that amount is allocated among all carriers based on the carrier's proportion um, to their market share. And so it's a big number, and then it's divvied up based on the carrier's share of the market. Uh, The IRS just announced the amount for 2020, and it's uh, just over $15.5 billion. Wow. So not an insignificant tax here. And um, it's based on annual premium amounts, which we know are going up. And part of the reason they're going up is because of the hit, right? So this is a little bit of a self-feeding monster where the the rate itself is set uh, based on premiums. Premiums are going up, and then the rate goes up and then it feeds back the next year, kind of this snowball effect on an an increase for premiums. Um, So as for the actual impact on rates, um, that's estimated to be between two to three percent. And carriers generally are going to pass this tax on to the policyholders, which in turn becomes an additional cost for employers and employees who are paying the premiums. Uh, Some claim that it adds $500 in premiums per affected family every year, and that over a 10-year period, it's projected to increase premiums for single coverage uh, by an average of $2,150 and family coverage by an average of $5,000 or just over $5,000. So plenty of reason for this one to be a concern for employers and employees who bear that burden of the uh, rate increases. Right. So, Chase, um, this, this actually hits individuals in their pocketbook. Right. Um, tell me what the hit tax funds. Yeah. So this was one of a few different taxes that was enacted when the ACA was enacted. And all of those were meant in their own different ways to help fund the ACA. We're talking about the establishment of the health insurance exchanges, the healthcare.gov, the administration and the payment of premium tax credits for lower income individuals that claim that premium tax credit. All of that is meant as a funding mechanism And that's an important point. The ACA is really what's adding this cost to the premium. This isn't the carrier going out for a money grab, right? Right. They are required to pay this tax by the ACA. And so in turn, they're turning around and passing that cost along. So unlike some of these other ACA taxes, a couple that I'll name are the reinsurance fee and the PCOR fee. The hit has no sunset. So unless Congress repeals it, it will be around forever. Uh, Congress has been active on this, though. They can't uh, seem to make up their minds, but there is some bipartisan support to get rid of the hit. 
Um, but in the meantime, they've been playing this game where they go on again, off again. And uh, that began back in 2015. Legislation was passed in Congress to suspend the hit for the 2017 year. They're calling it a moratorium. That's probably the term you'll hear on this. It was back in play in 2018, but in 2018, they passed legislation that put it on moratorium in 2019. Oh, goodness. And now looking into 2020, which is why this is coming up, there's no moratorium going forward. So unless something happens Q4, uh, we can plan on having the, uh, the hit around in 2020. So what does this mean for fully insured employers? I would assume it, it's going to hit their rates as well. Right. So most carriers are including this as a line item on their rate sheets. It will increase premium rates in 2020. Going forward, though, like long-term solution here, Congress does seem to be interested in getting rid of this. There's joint legislation in the House. If you want to look it up, it's H.R. 2447. That's meant to fully repeal the hit. Um, that bill has not, though, hit the floor yet for any serious discussion or a vote. It's only been introduced. Uh, the House and Senate have both contemplated more moratoriums um, under H.R. 1398 and S-172. Those are the different bills in the House versus the Senate. Those both add two additional years to the current moratorium that would put the hit on hold until 2021. Uh, I would imagine if they passed, they'd have to find that revenue that it's uh, someplace else. That's one of the big challenges, right? If you repeal one of these big taxes, you have to make it revenue neutral. And so where do you find the money that this hit was supposed to raise? So that's a huge challenge uh, any time you're getting rid of a tax. Uh, but perhaps that moratorium would buy them more time to repeal it. Uh, for now, neither of those has had any movement, though. So employers and carriers kind of have to assume 2020 will be a revival year for the hit. Um, even if the moratorium is somehow extended by Congress later this year, Q4, how would that really work? Carriers have already built these into their rates. Those rates have already been packaged and communicated and agreed to in a lot of instances. You know, for 1-1 renewals in particular, they're very far down the road on this. So we're not sure how that would even play out. At a last-second delay like this could wreak havoc. Okay, so we're on the topic of taxes. Let's switch over to Cadillac tax. That's been another thing that we've heard um, kind of go up, you know, had some interest in bipartisan support in Congress. Um, where are we with that right now? Right. The Caddy tax or the Cadillac tax, uh, this is a favorite topic of discussion for everybody. This one was originally set to go into effect in 2018, uh, but has been punted down the road several times. It's now uh, scheduled for 2022. And uh, most doubt, though, it will ever go into effect. There's lots of discussion about repeal here. Again, this was meant to raise revenue, right, to help fund the ACA. Um, it was will impose a 40% excise tax on health plans that exceed certain cost thresholds. So getting to a list of things that, don't, that employers won't like about this one and why it's unpopular kind of on both sides of the aisle. First, the tax isn't and hasn't been properly indexed for inflation. It uses the CPI I mentioned. That puts it out of whack with the much higher rate of medical inflation. So that pretty much guarantees that the thresholds will become out of date quickly if the tax ever takes effect. But the Cadillac tax was originally intended to target only a small segment of insurance plans, those that were very benefit rich. Um, in fact, the original projection was that only 3% of plans would be impacted. Uh, but in reality, there are estimates out there that say almost half of all plans, 50%, would fall under the tax. So you can just see this expansion that, of impact that um, probably wasn't originally intended. 
Um, proposed guidance on the tax includes a lot of components as part of the overall cost of the plan. So things like cost-saving measures, um, all of that pushes up the value of the plan toward the threshold. And that drives down incentives for employers to establish those types of spending arrangements and that cost-saving measures for employees. So um, there's also additional and significant compliance burdens for employers, not only in paying the tax, but they are tasked with monthly tracking and reporting uh, obligations. So what is the latest on the repeal? Because I know that's, you know, they've certainly pushed it back. Yeah. Where are we on repealing it fully? Well, the House is on it, right? The Senate is not quite there yet. But back in July, the House passed H.R. 748. That fully repeals the Cadillac tax. Um, so you may have heard that in the news. Unfortunately, uh, the Senate has not taken it up so far. Um, they've introduced the companion bill S-684. Congress is back in session this week, and that H.R. 748 has been added to the calendar in the Senate, but no discussion or info on an actual date or anything uh, has been set. But all eyes on the Senate to actually do something here. And do you anticipate that something will be done given the political arena that we're in right now and also going into an election year? Yeah, it's difficult to say, right? Like it seems like one item that they could actually, Democrats and Republicans can agree on, why not push it through? On the other hand, why push it through if I have to work with a colleague from the other side, right? So it's difficult to say. Okay. Speaking of repeal of the ACA, we've got the court case that's looming. Um, where are we with that court case and where does it stand in the courts right now? Yes. An interesting one waiting to play out here, Suzanne. This is the case of Texas versus the United States. Uh, we've discussed this one in a past podcast, uh, but it's really a refrain of the original challenge to the ACA back in 2012. Quick recap, um, back in 2012, some Republican challengers argued that the ACA's individual mandate, that's the requirement that all U.S. citizens carry health insurance or pay a penalty, that's unconstitutional. It forced people to make a purchase, and that requirement was a violation of the Commerce Clause. The Supreme Court held that the ACA's individual mandate was simply a tax. Individuals have to pay a tax if they don't do something and because Congress always has the power to tax, the individual mandate is constitutional. So that's how the ACA was upheld originally. In 2017, as part of the tax reform bill, Congress reduced that tax to zero dollars. Now, they didn't actually repeal the individual mandate. That's still technically on the books as part of the law, but the penalty for noncompliance or the tax is now zero dollars. So in response to that tax reform change to zero dollars for the tax, Republicans in 17 to 18 states led by Texas, which is why you hear Texas v. the United States, they filed a suit claiming that the Supreme Court's holding back, uh, their holding back in 2012 no longer implies. In other words, since there's no tax, there's no constitutional basis for the individual mandate. And they went even further and said because the individual mandate is so integral to the ACA, the entire ACA has to fall. That's what the district court in Texas said. They agreed with the Republicans here, the GOP states that filed this suit, and then it was appealed to the Fifth Circuit. So the Fifth Circuit is contemplating this case now. Oral arguments in the case were heard over the summer. That means that these Fifth Circuit's really in their writing stage and figuring out what they want to do as far as their opinion and ruling. Um, so their ruling really could come down at any time. Many are predicting Q4, which is obviously just two weeks away now. Uh, others say that the Fifth Circuit on average takes a little bit longer, eight to 10 months, which would be well into 2020. We anticipate something sooner, though, just because of the scale of this case. Um, regardless, though, this will be a huge case going forward. Wherever the Fifth Circuit lands, 
The decision will likely be appealed to the Supreme Court. If it gets to the Supreme Court in 2020, watch out because we'll have a five-star drama on our hands. Middle of the elections with health care is a huge topic in the elections and the debates, and then a bombshell either way from the Supreme Court right in the middle of that. So this could get really exciting, uh, good or bad, depending which side of the aisle you sit on, but lots of drama either way. So is there anything in store either way for the GOP or for the Democrats when we're looking forward? Yeah. So again, it will depend on what happens here and potentially what happens in the 2020 elections. The GOP does seem to agree that some of the ACA's provisions are popular. They have already uh, ready built legislation, which would put some of the uh, more popular provisions back in. Those include the prohibition on pre-existing condition exclusions, as well as some of the other ACA mandates like preventive services with zero cost sharing, dependent coverage to age 26, and the prohibition on annual limits. So you'd likely see the GOP try and pass some of those piecemeal. Beyond that, we haven't really seen a formal or materialized GOP replacement plan. For Democrats, if the ACA is repealed, you'd likely see a ramp up in the single-payer Medicare for all discussion, more Democrats pushing further to the extreme. Um, so there'll be fallout on both sides for sure. We'll just have to wait to see how it, it plays out. Watching the Democratic debate the other night, um, there's plenty of divide within the Democrats themselves on health care. So if they take control of Washington in 2020, there's no guarantee on what will happen either. Assuming the ACA remained in place um, with the Supreme Court, would they really want to dismantle that in favor of a single-payer system, or would they uh, attempt to make fixes to the ACA to solve some of the problems and higher costs in the individual market? Uh, but you can see some of that infighting during the Democratic debate, um, some of the ca candidates going after Bernie and Senator Warren on single-payer, others taking it to Biden on the ACA, so really will uh, get interesting next year for sure. So, Chase, before you close, I'd like to ask your opinion on the case itself because uh, and and the positioning of the court. Um, as we know, they even went beyond what was being asked in terms of the repeal and said that because they couldn't identify what provisions of the ACA were attached basically to the individual mandate, um, they didn't feel like the ju judiciary was the correct branch to make those decisions. And so they said the whole thing would have to fall. Yeah, I don't know exactly how they're going to come out. I can see the argument for the judiciary not making that decision, right? That's the judiciary is there to interpret laws. And if you have laws written in a way that are confusing and, and so integrated that it becomes difficult to pull different parts out of it, then it makes sense to say, hey, this is really a um, we're, we're going to we're going to let it all fall because we don't know which parts to pull out because that wasn't spelled out in the law. And so let's put this back on Congress. That's the thing we forget about here. We, th we think that the courts are really deciding what the future of the ACA is, which is partially true based on how the ACA is now. But the ACA is a law. The law is written by Congress, and Congress can always go back and fix the law, repeal it themselves, replace it with something else. They can always make things more clear, and that changes how a court would interpret it. And so um, it seems strange that in, in situations like this, we do let courts interpret or not interpret laws, right? When really we could go back to our senators, our congressmen and say, hey, look, this is what we want. Let's get the law written in a way that makes sense for what we want it to say. Of course, then you get back into the political arena. How are we going to do that? Uh, but I think in this case, the Fifth Circuit in their questioning and in their interpretations seems to be leaning towards upholding the district court. And so we know that the Fifth Circuit is a little bit right-leaning anyway. And so I think probably they're going to 
uphold the district court and we'll be seeing a showdown in the Supreme Court. But either way, we're going to probably be seeing a showdown in the, in the Supreme Court, right? Even right. if the Fifth Circuit um, turns down the uh, district court. Terrific. All right, Chase. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for joining today. And, and as we like to say, that's, that's a wrap. wrap.